0: Chapter 7 of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Dodridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7, The Best Foot Foremost. The arrows of the snowy wind came shooting over shot over. It was Saturday now of the same week with which we began on Tuesday. The mercury during those four days had not risen once above 28 degrees of Fahrenheit and now it stood about twenty-two degrees, and lower than that in the river meadows. Trusty and resolute Dobbin never had a harder job than now. Some parts of Headington Hill give pretty smart collar work in the best of times, and now with deep snow scarred by hooves and ridged by wheels, not to be worn down, hard it seemed for a horse, however sagacious to judge what to do. Dobbin had seen snow ere now, and gone through a good deal of it, but that was before the snow had fallen so thickly on his own mane and tail, and even his wise eyebrows. That was in the golden days, when youth and quick impatience moved him, and the biggest flint before his wheel was crushed, with a snort at the road surveyor. But now he was come to a different state of body, and therefore of spirit, too. At this time of life it would not do to be extravagant of strength, it was not comely to kick up the heels, neither was it wise to cherish indignation at the whip. So now, on the homeward road, with a heavy Christmas-laden cart to drag, his fine old horse took good care of himself, and having only a choice of evils, chose the least that he could find. Alas, the smallest that he could find were great and heavy ills. Scarcely any man stops to think of the many weary cares that weigh upon the back of an honest horse." Men are eloquent in the trouble that sits behind the horseman, but the silent horse may bear all that, and the troublesome man in the saddle to boot, without any poet to pity him. Dobbin knew all this, but was too much of a horse to dwell on it. He kept his tongue well under bit, and his eyes in sagacious blinkers, and sturdily up the hill he stepped, while Cripps, his master, trudged beside him. Every talented man must think whenever he walks beside a horse of the superior talents of the horse, the bounty of nature and four curved legs, the pleasure there must be in timing them, the pride of the hard and goutless feet, and the glory of the mane, to which the human beard is no more than seaweed in a billow, which no man has in a comely and decorous form, and last, not least, the final blessing of terminating usefully in a tail, Zachary Cripps was a man of five talents and traded them wisely, but often as he walked beside his horse and smelled his superiority, he became quite humble and wiped his head and put his whip back in the cart again. The horse, on the other hand, looked up to Zachary with soft faith and love. He knew that his master could not be expected quite to understand the ways a horse is bound to have of getting on in harness, the hundreds of things that must needs be done and done in proper order too, the duty of going always like a piece of the finest music, with chains and shafts and buckles and hard leather to be harmonized, and the load which men are not born to drag until they make it for themselves. Dobbin felt the difference, but he never grumbled as men do. He made the best of the situation, and it was a hard one, the hill was strong against the collar, and by reason of the snow, zigzag and corkscrew tactics could not be resorted to. At all of these he was a dab, by dint of steep experience, but now the long hill must be breasted, and both shoulders set to it. The ruts were slippery as glass, and did not altogether fit the wheels he had behind him, and in spite of the spikes which the blacksmith gave him, the snow balled on his hairy feet so he stopped and shook himself and panted with large resolutions, and Cripps from his capacious pockets fetched the two oak wedges and pushed one under either wheel while Esther, who was coming home at last, jumped from her seat to help the load, and patted Dobbins' kind nose and said a word or two to cheer him. "'The best horse has ever looked through a bridle,' Zachary declared across the main. "'But he must be humored with his own way now,' "'Same as the rest on us, when us grows old. "'Eddie, my dear, no call for you to come down and catch chillibanes. Zack, I am going to push behind. "'I am not big enough to do much good, "'but I would rather be alongside of you "'through this here bend than the road, I would.' "'For now the dusk was gathering in, "'and as they toiled up the lonesome and snowy road "'where it overhung the gypsy grave. "'This here bend be as good as any other,' said Cripps, "'though himself afraid of it. "'What ails you, girl? "'What hath ailed you ever since "'out of Oxford town you come? "'Is it a jail thou be coming home to? "'Oxford turns the head of thee?' "'Now, Zack, you know better than that. "'I would life or be at Beckley any day, "'but I have been that frightened "'since I passed this road on Tuesday night "'that scarce a morsel could I eat or drink "'and never sleep for dreaming.' "'Frightened, child?' "'Lord, bless my heart, you make me creep by talking so. "'There, wait till we be on our own lane. "'Can't spare the time now to speak of it.' "'Oh, but, Zack, if you please, you must. "'I have had it in my mind so long, "'and I kept it for you till we got to the place "'that you might go and see it.' "'Eddie, now this is childish stuff. "'No time to hearken to any such tell-up. "'Enough to do, the Lord knows there be, "'without no foolish stories.' "'It is not a foolish story, Zach. "'It is what I saw with my own eyes. "'We are close to the place. "'It was in a dark hollow, just below the road on here. "'I I will show you, and then I will stand by the cart "'while you go and seek into it.' "'I won't leave the high road for anyone. "'I tell ye, all these goods is committed to my charge, "'and my duty is to stick to them. "'The likely thing is I'd leave a cart to be robbed "'in that there sort of way.' (laughs) Ah, <laughs> they'd soon find out, I reckon, what Zachary Cripps was made of. Ah, oh, but we all know how brave you are, dear Zack, and perhaps you wouldn't like to leave me, brother? No, no, of course not. How could I do it? All by yourself, and the weather getting dark. Up, up there. Best foot foremost kills the hill but Esther was even more strongly set to tell the story and relieve her mind than Zachary was to relieve his mind by turning a deaf ear to all of it. Nevertheless, she might have failed if it had not been for a lucky chance. Dobbin, after a very fine rush and spirited bodily tug at the shafts, was suddenly forced to pull up and pant and spread his legs to keep where he was until his wind should come back again and he stopped with the off-wheel of the cart within a few yards of the gap in the hedge, where Esther began her search that night. She knew the place at a glance, although in the snow it looked so different, and she ran to the gap, peeped as if she expected to see it all again. In all the beauty of fair earth, few things are more beautiful than snow on clustering ivy leaves. Wednesday's fall had been shaken off, or even in the coldest weather jealous winds and evaporation soon clear foliage of snow. But a little powdery shed of flakes had come at noon that very day, like the flitting of a fairy, and every delicate star shone crisply in its cupped or pillowed rest. The girl was afraid to shake a leaf because she had her best bonnet on. Therefore she drew back and called the reluctant Zachary to gaze. naught but a side of snow,' said he, "'It hath almost filled the old quarry up. Hars have rested, and so have we. "'Shan't be home by candlelight. "'Log then, Dobbin, log then, will the—' "'Stop, brother, stop. "'Don't be in such a hurry. "'Something must tell you now "'that I have been feared to tell anybody else. "'It was so dreadfully terrible. "'Do you see something in the snow down there?' "'As I am a sinner, there be something moving. "'Jump up into the car, girl. "'I shall never get round with my things tonight.' There is something there, Zack, that will never move again. There is the dead body of a woman there. No romantics, no romantics, the carrier answered as he turned away, but his cheeks beneath a week's growth of beard turned as white as the snow in the buckthorn. No living man might scare him, but a woman, and a dead one. Come, Zack, cried Esther, having seen much worse than she was likely now to see. You can't be afraid of romantics, Sack. Come here, and I will show thee. Driven by shame and curiosity, the valiant Cripps came back to her, and even allowed himself to be led a little way through the gap into the deep, untrodden, and drifted snow. She took him as far as a corner, whence the nook of the quarry was visible, and there with trembling fingers pointed to a vast billow of pure white, piled by the driving east wind over the grave, as she thought, of the murdered one. "'Enough,' he said, having heard her tale, "'and becoming at once a man again in the face of something real. "'My dear, what a fright thou must have had! "'How couldst thou have kept it all this time? "'I would not tell thee our news at home, "'for fear of terrifying thee in the cold. "'Hath no one to Oxford told thee?' "'Told me what? "'Oh, Zack, dear Zack, I am so frightened. "'I can hardly stand.' "'Then run, girl, run!' We must go home, fast as ever we can, for constable. He took her to the cart, and, reckless of Dobbin's indignation, lashed him up the hill and made him trot the whole length of Beckley Lane, then threw a sack over his loins and left the Christmas parcels in the frost and snow, while he hurried to Squire Oglander. End of chapter 7